the free for all roundtable round two on round two bob reed is here principal at broadwaystrategy.com the guy behind touchdowns and fumbles which you can hear on jerry agar's show on fridays mike schreiner is ontario's green party leader and dipika demerla is a mississauga city councillor actually dipika i wanted to start with you i don't want to sandbag you or anything but it occurred to me when we were talking last week and i didn't get around to asking uh if bonnie if bonnie crombie goes ahead and runs for the leadership of the provincial liberals do you guys already have a backup mayor or a backup plan? Um, really good question. I mean, you know, at this point, uh, the mayor hasn't even officially announced, right? She's still exploring uh, whether she's going to run. So I'll say that, you know, there have been some, uh, you know, there have been some uh, background work being done by staff. We already have certain protocols, uh, you know, in terms of what would happen. Uh, and she only has to step down if she wins. So, and then if she wins, then what happens is, you know, there's, I think, 60 days to be when uh, vacancy is declared, and then I guess a decision is up to council whether we want to go for a by-election or we want to appoint someone. So that's pretty much where we're at. So she's still, uh, I mean, so we know what the bylaws and regulations say, and it's just a matter of, well, the mayor has to first of all officially join the race before (laughs) we can start these discussions. Okay, so listen, let's talk about some of the big stories in the news this morning. Bob Reed, I'll start with you on this one. Uh, Car theft reaching a crisis point nationally. It's so lucrative that cars are being snatched out of people's uh, driveways and off parking lots all over the country, put into containers and shipped out. And I guess the big question is, what, if anything, can be done about this? I know one person texted in and said, just hire, uh, just hang a couple of them, they'll stop. Well, that's a strategy, I suppose, yeah. <laughs> would, would certainly send a signal. Um, but yeah, this this analysis and, and latest uh, latest data begs a lot of questions. I mean, it's an astronomical increase. In Ontario and Quebec, we're looking at a 50% increase in, uh, in, in car theft. The other thing that uh, makes me concerned is this seems to be a very Canadian problem. We're not, as we usually see in, you know, uh, data analyses, we're not seeing comparisons to the U.S. and are we 10% of that based on population. We don't see that when it comes to this. This seems to be a very specific Canadian issue. And so those are questions that I think need uh, need more explanation. If, if, if that's the case, why is that? Why is this country so prone to it? In terms of what we do about it, I think the insurance folks are doing a good job in, in putting out the various and sundry tips that they have. I think ultimately technology might solve this. Now, I recognize by saying that, yeah, the key fob technology was supposed to make it impossible to move a vehicle that you don't actually have the key for. They've found a way around that. But just with so many tracking devices and options and and air tags and everything else these days, uh, it it really makes me uh, wonder uh, if that won't ultimately be a, a, a more concrete solution to this stuff. Mike Schreiner, let me turn to you. I appreciate that Toronto Police Service has made this uh, priority, but one wonders if maybe we need to throw even more resources at it. If somebody was breaking into homes and stealing forty and $50,000 from people, we'd take that seriously. 
Yeah, there's no doubt about that, John. I'll tell you what, my first reaction when I read about this was, oh, thank goodness I don't drive a car that uh, is high value enough that <laughs> would be targeted for being stolen. But then my next thought was, oh, well, this is what's partly driving up my insurance rates. So all of us, whether you know we drive a vehicle that's targeted or not, are paying the price for this. And I, I do think uh, stronger enforcement is needed. But I also agree with Bob. I think there are some technological solutions, um, I would say like GPS tracking and other things. But then the question is, is if we have those solutions in place, are we going to have the resources in place to follow up on them uh, and ensure, one, we retrieve vehicles, and two, we crack down on the criminals? Uh, and I'll turn to you, Deepika. And uh, somebody texted in and said, bring back car keys. Probably everybody on the panel is old enough to remember uh, square key for the ignition, round key for the doors and trunk. I, I remember the one key that worked for both. Maybe there were two, but, uh, you know, I have a radical idea to stop car thefts. Just park your car in your garage. Yeah, so I honestly, don't have a garage. Well, true, but most do. Like, you know, I live on a street. I'm in Mississauga. Yes, it's suburb. It's a car city. And I can tell you on my street, every home has a two-car garage. And there isn't a single car parked inside the garage. So I think uh, I don't disagree with a lot of, you know, the issues. And it's, it's, it's in, you know, I was just thinking the other day, there isn't a single person who probably doesn't know someone who hasn't had a car stolen. And I'm, I, mean, I know friends and family have lost cars and, you know, police's ability to retrieve them. is. I think it's changed now, but even six months ago, I think the police just said, forget it, just go to your insurance. So that certainly helps the thieves who know that there's no consequences. But I'd say start with parking your car in your garage. That would really, really help. And uh, that's where I'm at. Speaking of what could be conceived as of as an ongoing crime, uh, the former governor general, uh, Mr. Johnston, yesterday testifying before parliamentarians. And Mike, I've, I've already expressed my thoughts on this a dozen times. I don't even understand why he still has the job and, you know, why he wants the job, why he continues. It's just it ain't working out and it's turning into a really sad final chapter. Yeah, it's really unfortunate, and I completely agree with you on that, John. I mean, the federal government, the liberals, have just totally mishandled this from day one. And what I find just so um, inexplicable to me is, you know, like when Katie Telford was asked to testify at committee, they delayed, 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 stalled, stalled, stalled. She finally testified. She did fine. So now they're dug digging their heels in and not bringing in a public inquiry, even though it feels like the whole country, people across the political spectrum are all saying, let's have a public inquiry to address like what has happened in the past and more importantly, how we can learn from that moving forward. And you would think the very least the government could do would be to announce some steps they're taking to um, prevent foreign interference in our elections moving forward. And they seem to be doing none of that. And the drip, drip, drip of this is only going to hurt them. Nipika, your thoughts on this? Oh, Johnston needs to go. You know, there's essentially two fundamental problems. The first original one was the perception of bias. But now I think after yesterday, there's a new problem, and that's the perception of incompetence. You know, his entire basis for not requiring a public inquiry was that it would duplicate the evidence gathering he's already completed and he has all the evidence he requires. And then it turns out he actually doesn't have all of the evidence, and he's acknowledged that. So, you know, it's 
at this point, he's got to go. We need a public inquiry. That's, uh, yeah. Bob Reed, you often use uh, football metaphors and touchdowns and fumbles, but I don't think that even begins to describe what's been going on in Ottawa. This is like, you know, one fumble after another. Yeah, it's a uh, it's it's a sad bit of business all the way around, and and as I've mentioned before, I think it was kind of doomed from the start by having one person, whoever that person was, one person who is entrusted to do the analysis and report back and say it's all secret stuff, so I can't actually share the details with you, but trust me. So he's in a difficult spot. Clearly, all sides are dug in. Johnston's not going to quit of his own volition. Trudeau's not going to remove him uh, because either move would suggest, okay, the opposition's right. He was the wrong choice. He's biased. He's not credible, et cetera, et cetera. So they don't, neither of those parties wants, wants to do that. And uh, I, I think Mike Schreiner's right that part of the compounding process or problem is we're not seeing progress. We're not seeing any action coming from this. We're seeing a lot of talk, which has been frustrating, but we're not seeing any tangible action being taken by the government on the issue of Chinese interference. Our friend Joe Warmington writing in The Sun today about drag queen stories hour taking place in public schools. Um, and Dipika, I'll start with you on this one. I'm not going to be one of those people whose hair catches fire over stuff like this, but I th- I'm actually, my whole question is, I don't even know when this became a thing. When drag queens, I, I wasn't aware previously that drag queens read stories to kids. And I think Joe's kind of got a point. It's one thing to happen in a library where parents decide I'm going to take my kid to that event. It's another to have it happen in a school. Yeah, you know what, I was thinking about that, and it's a fair distinction, but I think I am okay if someone in a drag outfit wants to read stories to kids, whether it's in a school or a library, as long as it's limited to reading the story and it's not about anything explicit. Because, you know, I think the trans people are part of our mainstream culture, and if they choose to dress a certain way. I don't think there's any harm in young kids being exposed to that, as long as it's not explicit. And part of it could be my background. I grew up in India, and I have memories. You know, in India, one of the things that I recall is that when a new baby was born in any family, trans people dressed as women would come to cheer and clap, and we had to give them a donation. So I guess that was one of their gigs where they would go. And I don't know how they would know a baby was born. So I just have this memory, even as a young child of five or seven, seeing men dressed as women and coming and money being given to them and celebration. So I guess I just am a little bit more relaxed about it. So that's where I would draw the boundary. You want to come in, read a story, kids see that people like to dress in different ways and people have different interests, I'm perfectly fine. Let's not make it anything more than that. It's just someone who chooses to dress a certain way is reading a story. End it there. Well, and there's a, you're right. There's a fine tradition in all of this. Bob Reed, uh, Ross Petty appeared in drag every single year in the pantomime, didn't he? Yeah, uh, and and I, I think context is, is is important around this, and and I think age appropriateness uh, comes into play here as well. I mean, I think it's very important that our schools teach children about uh, 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 about uh, homosexuality and and uh, and and uh, uh, trans and and everything else, and, and that pride should be celebrated in the schools. But how? 
which which dimensions come into play there and and i think for kids who are six seven eight years old having a drag queen come in and read to them i think that might be a bit confusing that might be a little overwhelming that might raise more questions than it than it educates so i i think it's absolutely essential that we teach children about all of these things and 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 teach them all the good lessons but do it in the right way okay last word mike schreiner yeah, you know what? I think we want to have inclusive spaces in our schools. And uh, Drag Queen Story Hour was really designed to create a space to just read children's stories and let those children know, know that a variety of people can read those stories. And there's nothing more than that. And I, I just feel like the kind of weaponization of this and the targeting of trans people around this uh, really sends a dangerous message when we really should be sending a message of inclusivity uh, and welcoming and safe spaces in our schools. And that's exactly what uh, Drag Queen Story Hour is designed to do. Thank you all. Good to have you. Bob Reed, Mike Schreiner, and Deepika DeMerla. Catch the Roundtable, round one at 745, round two at 845. Weekday mornings on More in the Morning. News Talk 1010 Toronto.